Hey educators, what's the scoop? Are you ready to be inspired by great things happening in rural Arizona classrooms? The Rural Scoop will bring you new ideas, an innovative curriculum. We'll dive into current school issues and we'll highlight what's working in your rural communities. You will hear from a variety of teachers, administrators, and educational professionals who will provide relevant and engaging content each episode. And now, serving up the Rural Scoop, here's your host, Dr. Melissa Sador. Thank you, Rural Scoop listeners, for tuning in with us today. I'm talking with Donna Davis of Expect More Arizona. Donna has been working with Expect More for nine years and has played an integral role in making education a top priority and building education advocates in both urban and rural communities throughout the state. Donna, are you ready to give us the scoop? Yes, ma'am. Fantastic. First, before we get started, can you give our listeners a bit of information about you and your background? Well, I grew up in upstate New York in a rural community. Um, It wasn't as rural as Arizona rural is, but um, for upstate New York, it was considered rural. My uh, town had about 2,000 people in it. We had one stoplight. I grew up around dairy farms. And I went to college at a State University of New York College at Brockport. And I knew from a young age that I wanted to be a teacher. And I really wanted to teach something that was meaningful to students. And I wanted to teach at a high school level. So I studied health education, which became a required subject in the 70s. And I graduated with a degree in um, health education. But in the meantime, I um, reconnected with someone from high school and uh, who was going to school in Pennsylvania. And he was in ROTC and joined the military. So we were married in 1975 and started traveling around. And I soon learned that teaching when you're traveling every two to three years is a challenge because you have to recertify in every state you go to. So at our first um, base in Florida, I found out that I had to take like three courses in order to be certified in Florida. And then I soon found out I was pregnant for our daughter. And so I realized that that was not going to work. So I continued um, my career while he was in the military. I did teach at a community college um, in the early 80s because we had um, young airmen joining the military who could not read at a fourth grade level. And the tech manuals were written in a fourth grade level. So I taught reading improvement to young airmen. Um, At a base in the late 80s, I taught preschool. And in between that time, I um, did a lot of nonprofit work. So we got here in 1990. um, We got here from Yemen, uh, where we were stationed for a little over two years. And so it was really good to be back in the States. Um, One of my um, reasons for being passionate about education is because as a mom of three military brats, um, my kids had a unique education experience and changed schools every two to three years until we got here. I was lucky enough to to have my kids um, go all the way through high school here in Arizona, so we didn't have to interrupt that that high school experience Mm -hmm. for them. But um, it, it gave me a lot of insight into different education systems, um, <clears throat> different education standards, 
different ways of teaching. And um, so that's uh, about my background. Wow. So your experience really has run the gamut from preschool through, you talk about that P20. You've seen it all. I have seen it all. And, and I'm grateful for that experience. And that, that really has, um, you know, formed my uh, advocacy platform for education here in Arizona. Well, so Donna, let's dive into that. You have become an advocate for education here in Arizona, and you've talked a little bit about that so far, but how has that journey been started, and what was your focus as, as you got into that work? Well, in, when I got here, we got here in 1990, and after working for a couple of nonprofits, um, Greater Phoenix Leadership and United Way started a, pro, a youth employment program together called Jobs for Valley Youth. And they recruited me to um, manage the program for them. We did um, uh, interviews, we did mock interviews with students. We um, did a whole, we recruited volunteers from business to do workshops with students on how to find a job. We recruited businesses to hire young people during the summer specifically. Wow. And during that experience, I, I saw a couple of things. First of all, I saw a lot of students who had no earthly idea what they wanted to do, where they wanted to go, um, what problem they wanted to solve because you know, today we probably shouldn't ask them what they want to be when they grow up, but talk to them more about what problem they want to solve. Absolutely. So, you know, most of the students that I saw, unless they were a CTE student, had no earthly idea. They all wanted to go to college, um, but they had no idea what they wanted to do. And as a parent at that time, with a student who was headed for college, I was, I was very concerned that these poor parents in Arizona were going to send students off to school who had no earthly idea what they wanted to do, and that parents would be forking out lots of dollars um, while their student tried to figure out where they wanted to go and what they wanted to do. And that was very concerning for me. And on top of that, I also had the opportunity to meet with new employers that were moving into town. The one I remember the most was when USAA moved here. And they met with a bunch of employment agencies to talk about um, recruitment for their business. And one of the first questions they asked, which we have all heard time and time again, but I had the actual experience of being in a room with a business that was coming to Arizona and hearing the question, what is education like here in Arizona? Hmm. And, the, and, the, and the story was not good at the time. Mm -hmm. um, actually, it was better than it is now, but it still was not, it was still was not great. So I followed that experience with working for FFA, the Future Farmers of America, for a year, and that was, or for about two years, actually, almost three years, and that was a statewide experience, and I really saw that specifically those CTE um, experiences like FFA, um, HOSA, DECA, all those things really prepared students to go on past high school, whether it was for a certification or to go on, you know, through college. Mm -hmm. And um, I really became concerned about economic development in our state and students having a vision for what they wanted to do. So, um, so that really um, began my, my advocacy. 
And then when the opening came up for Expect More Arizona, I already had statewide experience through my FFA work, and, um, and I was passionate about education, and so it, it was a natural fit. So Donna, introduce us to Expect More Arizona and its work. What is, it, what is the organization about? Well, we began as a result of Governor Napolitano's P20 Council. And our goal was to make education a, a top priority in Arizona. Um, we wanted to be statewide, nonpartisan, and talk about the system preschool through university. Um, we were not our own nonprofit at the time. We were a fund of the Arizona Community Fund. There were four employees, um, a marketing person, a social media person, a president, and me that did outreach. And I handled the entire state. We were committed to high quality education for all students. And our goals were to raise awareness about education and education issues, to build understanding about those issues, to build ownership and consensus, and then to encourage people to take action. So to this day, that's what we're focused on. So you've been with Expect More since its evolution, and it has evolved. What, what do you do now for the organization? The way my role has evolved, I do outreach. And so um, when I first started with the organization, my goal was to reach out to businesses, chambers, school districts, nonprofits, and communities to talk to them about education issues. And I'm still doing that. The difference is that my territory, so to speak, has changed. Initially, my territory was the entire state of Arizona. And I learned a lot and saw a lot of beautiful things in, across our state <laughs> um, in, in that capacity. Um, since then, uh, we have hired more outreach people. So we have somebody in Southern Arizona that covers um, Pima, Cochise, um, and Santa Cruz County. Yeah, and I think that's it. And then we have somebody in Northern Arizona who covers um, Navajo, Apache, Coconino, and uh, Yavapai counties. And then this year, we hired another outreach person to do uh, Phoenix, Central Phoenix, and uh, most of Pinal County. And my territory um, changed a little this year. I have handled um, Mojave, La Paz. Oh, and, and the, the person that handles Central Phoenix also does Yuma. So I handle Mojave, La Paz, um, what, the western half of Maricopa County, because I live over here and have a lot of, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of contacts on the west mm -hmm. side of Phoenix. And then um, this year I, I was added uh, Graham and Greenlee counties. So, um, so while my role has not really changed, I'm still doing the same exact thing. Expect more Arizona has changed a lot. Can you talk a little bit more about that? How has, how has Expect More evolved? Well, in 2010, um, one of the things we were doing was that we were talking to, to people not only about, um, you know, supporting education, but the importance of the fact that um, high school was not, the, was not the stopping point that we needed to have more students that were gonna go on past high school. Mm -hmm. And to that end, we were a partner with Gear Up across the state, and we published these college and career guides, and it was my job to get those college and career guides out to every high school student across the state. Well, every ninth grader across the state. So 
I went to a lot of um, superintendent, uh, county superintendent meetings and met with superintendents and handed out these college and career guides. I distributed over 400,000 college and career wow. guides <laughs> and got a real workout lifting boxes of college and career guides <laughs> out of my car. Um, amazingly enough, I started in January, and in February, my very first presentation for Expect More Arizona was to the Mojave um, uh, County Superintendents, and it was at the request, I believe, I was told, of John Warren from Topak. Oh, I'll be darned. <laughs> I know, who saw one of our um, advertisements on TV and told the county school superintendent, we need to have somebody come up here and talk to us about this group so that we can find out what the heck they're doing. That first year, we also did our first Vote for Education campaign, and it revolved around just asking candidates about how they plan to support education. We had four questions that we um, urged voters to ask candidates. We did um, billboards throughout the state um, along the freeways, and it brought about a lot of um, notoriety for our organization because people would see those billboards and say what is that and who are these people mm -hmm. we did um, vote for education t-shirts which were very popular so <clears throat> that really set us off on the on the track of you know doing a, a little more advocacy in 2011 um, <clears throat> supreme court justice sandra day o'connor um, with her nonprofit organization came to us and talk to us about getting the word out about the state constitution, which um, outlines the fact that our, our constitution says that our legislature is supposed to support education. Yes. And they called that, we called that the education commitment, and we took out a full page ad in the Arizona Republic, and we went around the state getting people to sign on support of this education commitment, that it was time for our legislature to step up. Um, so that was in 2011. In 2012, we did parent presentations and talked to parents primarily about um, having their students go past high school and um, on for certifications or university education. In 2013, the standards conversation started mm -hmm. and we recruited people to communicate with their um, legislators about the need for more rigorous standards and we were kind of front and center in that movement. In 2015, we started recruiting partners across the state that would um, take our materials and, um, and, you know, using their networks would use our materials to, um, to promote the messages. And then in 2016, we started the progress meter where we came up with, uh, with, the, with the Center for the Future of Arizona, we came up with where we stand in education in eight different metrics. Um, early education, um, third grade reading, high school graduation, <clears throat> um, let's see, eighth grade math, opportunity youth, post high school enrollment, attainment, and teacher pay. So we started that initiative in 2016. And then in 2017, we went throughout the state um, asking cities and towns to do proclamations in support of the progress meter and helping the cities and towns understand. I always feel bad for cities and towns because education affects their economic development 
but yeah. they really have nothing to do with education. It's not like they can fund education from a city budget. Right. Um, but at the same time, it really affects their affects them. So we started asking them to do proclamations in support of the progress meter that and, and then become a, a partner with us so that they could put on their website that they support education, um, you know, by signing this proclamation and and, you know, understanding more about education in their city or town. And then this year we started on this funding roadmap. Throughout the years, we have done, um, we have supported various uh, ballot propositions. Um, when I first started in 2010, we uh, were part of a huge group that um, worked on the one cent sales tax under Governor Brewer's administration. Um, we also worked on the initiative to vote no on 302, which was an attempt by the legislature to take away the first things first money mm -hmm. and put it in the general fund. Um, we also participated in Yes on 204 later, um, which attempted to keep that one cent sales tax, but it, we didn't, it didn't um, pass. And then um, most recently, we were um, part of the Prop 123 uh, team that supported Prop 123 for our schools. So we've done a lot over the years, and I'm really grateful, Melissa, that I'm doing this because it made me sit and reflect all the things we have, we have done, which has been a great experience. So thank you for asking me to do this. Oh, you're very welcome. <laughs> and it's good to get the word out about the continuing efforts that Expect More has been behind. Mm -hmm. So as you know, teacher uh, recruitment and retention is a concern in Arizona. And you touched briefly on that as part of the progress meter. But how has Expect More been involved in this particular issue? Um, we have brought attention to the issue for sure. Um, and we uh, funded a study by the Morrison Institute called Finding and Keeping Educators for Arizona's Classrooms, um, which we unveiled in 2017. We um, hosted a huge event and brought together a lot of um, businesses and chambers and people around the state to take a look at that report to understand um, that teacher pay is definitely an issue. And that report um, came up with the statistic that we were 49th in um, teacher pay, and that's accommodating for um, cost of living. That's, you know. Um, 49th in the country. Yes. And we are still 49th in the country. Um, new statistics just came out recently. Um, but, you know, so many, I mean, we did Red for Ed and our teachers got, you know, some more money, um, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. But we're trying to get our teachers to, um, the, our elementary teachers to the national median salary by 2020 that, or yeah, by 20, I can't remember if it's by 2022. And while we did Red for Ed, a lot of other states did similar initiatives. And so we just, we haven't outpaced other states. And in the meantime, the median pay nationally has increased. So we're still 49th. You partnered with an organization from Tucson to highlight teachers uh, and trying to maintain their um, willingness and want to be involved in education. Can you talk a little bit about that initiative? Well, last year, 
we, um, Tucson Values Teachers did a film about the life of educators here in Arizona. They followed three teachers um, from across the state, a high school teacher, an elementary school teacher, and a charter school teacher, and um, showed their, their entire day, um, you know, showed the teacher doing um, uh, work at home at night, calling parents. Um, the high school teacher was talking about uh, you know, how he just wasn't making enough money for his family to live on. Um, and so we showed that movie across the state this year. Like that has really been um, a great initiative for us to bring attention to the teacher problem. So it's been very well received. And we've been showing it to business groups. We showed it to an industry group just a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, but if people want to connect with us, um, we can... Um, you know, see about getting a movie shown in their area. Uh, Donna, what are the concerns that you've seen prominent in rural communities as you go around the state? Well, that's a pretty kind of an easy question because overall it is a definite lack of resources. Um, I remember before I even started, no, right after I started with Expect More Arizona, I traveled up to the Navajo Reservation to give an award to a teacher um, for our excellence tours that we were doing at the time. And I, I gave the award that night, drove home, and then the next morning did a presentation for the Scottsdale Chamber. And I remember the first words out of my mouth to those chamber members were, you have no earthly idea how lucky you are to be in Scottsdale, Arizona. Because the inequities are, you know, they're there and, and they're very noticeable. As far as schools are concerned, um, you know, I think that there's a real, even though we have equitable funding, you know, funding equality supposedly across the state, mm -hmm. when most urban schools can pass bonds and overrides, and rural schools probably don't stand much of a chance of doing that, the system becomes inequitable in a heartbeat. There are small school adjustments that some schools get and, and, and they um, you know, bring a lot of money um, for that school for those students. But um, as the state starts talking about consolidation, that is a huge issue. I'm, uh, consolidation in general is a huge issue. Yes. But when you're asking a school to consolidate and they get a small school adjustment to consolidate to make themselves bigger so that that small school adjustment goes away, there's, there's no way. I mean, it just isn't equitable. Um, rural school districts have issues like busing. Um, you know, there are all kinds of issues <clears throat> in rural schools. Tax credits are another thing. You know, we have schools, my school district makes a fortune with um, tax credits from citizens in our district which is one of the reasons why I refuse to give my tax credit to our district and try and give it to more <laughs> rural districts who I figure don't get as much right. as um, other school districts go. And then finally, all of that points to the problem of teacher recruitment and retention. Yes. And, um, you know, I remember being up in Bullhead City one year and, um, and the superintendent talking to me about the fact that they had to recruit a lot of their teachers from the Philippines and that they have a real problem there because uh, Bullhead City is across the river from Nevada where teachers can earn $10,000 more a year. 
They're just down the street from California where teachers can earn probably $15,000 more a year and they could not keep teachers. Wow. I know that my, um, my friend in Globe who grew up and graduated from school in Michigan um, became a real advocate for trying to go back to Michigan every year to recruit teachers to come to his district in Globe. But they would stay for just a few years and then they would move on. So he became um, a real proponent of growing your own. And he has been reaching out to, um, you know, their paraprofessionals and other citizens in the community to get them to think about going back to school to become a teacher. And I think that that probably is the secret. We have people in our communities who with a little encouragement and perhaps a little funding, um, you know, would be able to go back to school and become a teacher. And since they live in the community, um, you know, that's, that's the perfect scenario to have someone from your community teach in your community instead of bringing people in from other places who, um, you know, don't know your community at all. And in some cases, hardly know, you know, the culture here. Right. So um, that is a huge issue in rural Arizona. I remember going to a school, and I believe it was in Cochise County, but I can't remember when I first started. And the superintendent there actually um, came there as a teacher um, when, her, when her and her husband moved there to get horse property. And they had lived in Scottsdale where she taught. And she uh, moved from being a teacher after the superintendent um, retired to becoming the superintendent of that school district. And the day I came, she, they had combination classes. So they had, you know, a first, second, or K1 combo and a second, third combo mm -hmm. or whatever. And I believe her three, four combo teacher came into, into her office that day and said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have 15 students in my classroom. And that superintendent, who was from Scottsdale, said to her, get out of my office. <laughs> <laughs> in Scottsdale... I, I would have died to have just 15 students in my classroom. Right. And, and that's, you know, another function of, um, you know, not funding education in Arizona is the growing size of classes here in Arizona. So it's a huge issue. And one that most of our citizens in Arizona don't think about. Mm -hmm. You know, they're from, urban, they're from an urban area and they have no earthly idea um, what it looks like in rural Arizona. If a rural administrator was looking for ways to be a voice for education in their community, Donna, how would you suggest that they get started? Well, of course, I'd like to say the first thing is call on us. Have us come up and do some presentations for your citizens and, and um, you know, call on us to educate your, your citizens and your community about education issues. But quite honestly, one of the... Um, one of the things I see that we really um, are lack in here in Arizona is um, a way to educate our community members about education issues. Um, volunteering in a classroom today is um, kind of difficult. I mean, you have to get fingerprinted, you have to do all this stuff to become a volunteer, and there's nothing wrong with that. I totally support that. But as a result, um, people aren't in there seeing what's happening with um, education today. 
There's an AARP program called Experience Core where they recruit AA, and, and some schools have this, and um, they recruit AARP volunteers to come in and they, they train those volunteers. AARP trains them in cooperation with the school district to come in and um, do reading activities with third graders who are at risk of falling behind in reading. And those volunteers have become some of the best education advocates that there are out there mm. because they are physically there seeing what is happening. So recruiting community volunteers, I would say, um, would be a great, a great way to get people to be a voice for education in your community. Start a PTA. Reach out to local businesses and community organizations. There's an organization here in the Phoenix area called School Connect. And I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they recruit businesses and churches around schools to become a partner with the schools. And they do a day of, of service for that school once a year. And that's a great way for people to volunteer for a school where they don't have to be fingerprinted and stuff because it's a great big community-wide event. And at least it gets people on the school campus to see, um, you know, what their tax dollars have paid for mm -hmm. and, you know, a little bit about what's going on at the school. And if you continue to educate, you know, businesses, community members, community organizations, um, you know, they can be some of your best spokespeople. But one of the roles we can play is, you know, coming in to do presentations about education and stuff is that we can be the nonpartisan vo voice for education that in light of today's environment where um, our legislature is nervous about um, school employees saying anything about <laughs> legislative issues. Right. We can be that nonpartisan voice to come out and talk to citizens about what is a bond and what is an override and what are some of the legislative issues that are on our plates and all that kind of stuff um, instead of having you do it. And that's, that's kind of what you need um, to find is someone that can do that for you. So you mentioned legislative issues. What are the legislative issues that Expect More is watching this session here in Arizona? Well, um, to start off with, we were watching the ELL um, instruction changes mm -hmm. um, that have happened, and we're very pleased about that. Um, we also have been watching the um, TPT uh, use tax issues that Sylvia Allen, Senator Sylvia Allen, proposed in the beginning of the legislative session this year to up the Prop 301 um, tax from 0.6% to a full penny. Um, so we've been kind of watching that. That seems to be at a standstill at this point in time. Mm -hmm. We've been very active with the um, Supplemental Appropriation for Child Care Assistance. Um, that is $56 million from the federal government that was uh, brought to Arizona last year. But um, the Department of Child Safety and DES did not put that money in their budgets. And so when the budget was passed last year, they were not allowed to spend that money. Hmm. And so um, we've been very active in making sure that um, that money gets authorized to spend um, for child care assistance. We've been um, uh, vocal supporters of appropriations for the universities, um, resident tuition, uh, providing general fund support to, um, to, to hopefully uh, make Arizona resident students tuition uh, paid 50% by the state, um, which is going to cost a big chunk of dollars. But um, 
that's you know one of the one of the things that we're committed to is um, decreasing the cost for tuition at our universities as well as funding our community colleges so um, so those are some of the issues that we've been paying attention to this year so Donna what's next for you and your support of public education well um, you know, two years ago, three years ago, we put out the Arizona Education Progress Meter and it highlighted, um, you know, where our students are in these eight metrics from preschool quality early learning through high school graduation through attainment. Um, one of the things that that progress meter pointed to was the fact that only 43% of our adults um, between the ages of six, between the ages of 25 and 64 have completed a two-year or four-year degree or have an industry certification. And that, of course, is totally affecting our economic development um, proposals because, you know, companies don't want to move here if they don't think they're going to have an educated workforce to draw from. Right. So we did this progress meter, but quite honestly, um, while I think at first we were kind of reluctant to talk about funding because... I'm sure you have heard, as I have heard <laughs> many times from Citizen, is dumping money into, you know, into the system is not going to help. I mean, there's got to be more than just funding. Um, in fact, I just visited with a senator who kind of had, had that um, train of thought that, you know, ed, uh, funding isn't going to fix everything. But you know what? In order to make any progress on our progress meter statistics, we need funding. I mean, it's just that simple. So. This last year, we brought together um, about 125 different organizations that have to do with education from first, through, first things first through our, to our universities. We had several um, community college presidents there. We had um, a lot of different uh, early education entities there. We had, Sean was there, Sean Rickert was there um, representing the Rural Schools Association. And together, we made a whole list of all the things we needed funding for. And then as a group, we started going through that list and coming up with priorities for um, what we needed funding for. We continue to pit early education against K-12 education, against university education, against community college education, and we can't get anywhere. <laughs> and so our goal was to bring everybody together and to talk about what can we as a group agree to that we're going to support and that um, you know we that we won't support unless all of these things are included in there and um, it was really great conversations and um, it and so we've come up with this funding funding roadmap that includes things like um, quality early education, um, K-12 uh, building construction, beginning with a focus, you will be happy to know, on rural schools. Wonderful. Um, funding effective strategies and interventions to support reading proficiency by the end of third grade, doubling the STEM workforce funding for the community colleges, scaling up programs that support the success of every student, including special education, school counselors, early interventions and screenings and other wraparound services. Um, funding, increasing funding for Arizona resident students attending a state university. Um, and then raising teacher pay to the national median and um, funding professional development, mentoring and induction. 
So um, we've been working hard on this and getting out and talking about this. And um, we want the pub, we need the public to understand that, um, and, and actually, quite honestly, our, our education partners to understand that we need to stop looking at the past and talking about, you know, we need to get back to 2008. No, we don't need to get back to 2008. We need to get up to 2025. You know what I mean? Right. Um, well, it would be great to get to 2008. <laughs> you know, inflation takes a toll and even that funding probably is not sufficient. Right. So, um, so we have been um, talking to the public about this. We need them to understand the, uh, the benefits of funding education that, you know, things like, you know, we have a counselor ratio of one counselor for every 900 students and the effect that that's having on school safety, um, along with career education, um, you know, that uh, if we could increase early education, we'd have more success in, in K-12, and that that actually is one of the, uh, the best ways to um, increase economic development is to start early and, and get students um, to where they need to be, you know, successfully. Absolutely. So, we came up with these short-term strategies, and then we also, um, you know, decided what our midterm strategies were going to be, and what our long-term strategies were going to be to get everything that was on the list as part of one, as part of the short-term, midterm, or long-term strategies for funding. So, um, now our next step is that we believe that there will be some funding, at least one, if not more, funding proposals coming out. For instance, Senator Allen's um, one cent sales tax for three oh uh, increase for three oh one. Um, I mean, that's a great start, that's for sure. But um, as we put together the the numbers for some of this stuff, that's almost like a drop in the bucket. <laughs> right. It's not going to be enough to make the difference that we need to see here in Arizona. And so we're developing a scorecard because there will, I, there's other groups meeting out there about funding proposals and what those proposals will, will look like, whether it's sales tax or income tax or property tax or, um, you know, how, how that money is going to be raised that can be dedicated to education. But we need to make sure that whatever funding proposal comes out serves all of those short-term needs and and is a um is enough money to make a difference um first for instance uh, senator allen's proposal does not include anything for early education and um you know that's where it all starts and we can't we can't get there if we don't fund the entire system mm -hmm. so we're looking at coming up with a scorecard and um, helping the public understand why all of these steps are necessary to get to where we want to be in education. What about you personally? What's next for you and your support of public education? Well, uh, boy, is that a good question, Melissa? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, sprung it on you. <laughs> I will always be an education advocate, and anybody that works with me would tell you that there that I have absolutely no um, no desire to retire anytime soon. <laughs> But I believe that when I do retire, I'll probably be down at that legislature every single day <laughs> talking to our legislators and helping them understand the situation. I mean, we have a lot of people who are my age who move here from other places 
um, primarily because our tax structure is so low. Our, our property tax um, structure here is so low. Compared, I mean, I'm from New York, and I certainly don't want us to get to the place like New York was when I was growing up. And my dad's property taxes were five times the amount of my property wow. taxes. And his house was tiny, tiny, tiny. Um, so I don't want us to get there, but we need to get to someplace reasonable mm -hmm. and, and we need to, um, you know, make sure that our, that our students are going to have the greatest chance for success. So I think the other thing, um, I'd like to put in a plug for is, um, in 2016, we started a regional council in Yuma and we brought together a group of business, um, uh, schools community organizations, but it, it actually, I think, was kind of started by the county school superintendent who said, um, you know, let's bring together a group of people and meet quarterly at least to get these people up to snuff on what's happening in education and then for them to use their networks to spread that message throughout, throughout Yuma County. Hmm. And that has been a really good um, way to increase our um, you know, our education information um, in, a, in a more concentrated way to really make sure that that group of local leaders is, um, you know, up to speed on the legislative issues and stuff. And so since then, we have formed a regional council in Douglas, Arizona, and we formed one in Sierra Vista. That's our most recent one. So we are, if anybody, um, you know, in your network has an idea for you know, a place where we could do a regional council um, to bring together some of those uh, primary community players. We, I would love to talk to them about that because that's the, that's the best way we can get the most bang for our buck. Yep, you bet. If anyone wanted more information on what we've talked about today, how can they get in touch with you? My email is Donna at expectmorearizona with Arizona spelled out dot org. My phone number is 623-882-6446. And I would love to hear from any of your listeners, Melissa, and, and um, so that we can work together to bring more support for education here in Arizona. Well, Donna, thank you so much for being involved with the podcast today. I want to let all the Rural Scoop listeners know that Donna's contact information will be available in the show notes. So you can check that out at the Arizona Rural School Association website at azruralschools.org and get more detailed information on how to get in touch with her. Thanks again, Donna, for talking with me today. Thanks for having me. Proud member of the Podnougan Network.